Okay, our fifth case of the day is in Appeal Number 223308, Good morning, or good afternoon, I believe, at this point. Uh, Your Honors, uh, we're here today in the Falks matter. I represent Chadwick Falks and Mark Cranley. Uh, we're here after a dismissal of my client's complaint, after a finding uh, that he forged a document and gave false testimony uh, about that document. And, and Mr. Cranley, you're not, as I understand it, contesting that your client did submit a fabricated document. That's, we're not appealing And your that. client testified falsely about it. We're not appealing that client. That, that, and you're that. also not appealing the dismissal of the non-exhausted claims. That's correct. Okay. What we are appealing is the remedy chosen uh, in light of the uh, at least four specific aspects of this case that make it uh, different than other cases the court's handed down that have affirmed dismissal as a sanction for this type of, of misconduct. Uh, we recognize that the need for truthfulness of uh, people testifying before the court is paramount. Uh, we're certainly not trying to dis diminish that value, that important public interest, but we think there are four things that make this a, the, un the unusual case where a dismissal is not an uh, appropriate remedy in this type of uh, situation dealing with the pr prisoner claim. Uh, the, the first one of those is the nature of the allegations that were dismissed. Uh, the, the claim we're really asking the court to, to revive is the uh, claim that Mr. Folks was sexually assaulted by a prison doctor. So, Mr. Mr. Cranley, that claim was, was it not, looked at to a certain degree within the, the prison system, within BOP. Um, I thought Mr. Folks ultimately uh, called the sexual assault hotline that he wrote to the U.S. Attorney's Office. Eventually, there's at least a, a administrative level finding that it was not substantiated. Oh, that's correct. And in fact, this was one claim that was the, in the earlier phases of the case was found to be fully exhausted because Mr. Folks took those steps. And in fact, was not at issue uh, in the hear the Pavey hearing on whether he had exhausted. Right. Case. No, he definitely had exhausted. But I'm also saying he exhausted as it were unsuccessfully. You know, people, um, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know why, but. Um, found that these allegations were not um, well-founded. That, that is a correct a statement of the record, but I think for our purposes, uh, we're here on a claim that we have not taken all the way to trial. We've not had the opportunity to complete discovery on it. We've not uh, presented it. It's really a, a tantamount to a dismissal on the, of the, right. the face of the, the complaint. So the point that um, Judge Hanlon raised, he was the district judge, right, mm -hmm. here, right. that, that <clears throat> If, if it's fair to construe that claim, the sexual assault claim against Dr. Is it Wilson? Dr. Wilson. Wilson as um, headed to trial. It, wasn't gonna, it didn't look like it was going to be tested at summary judgment. It was, looked like it was going to head to trial that way. Your client uh, put that at risk by engaging in the misconduct on the court. Why, why is that not um, you know, a finding that, that we should respect? Yeah, I, I think, I think that's... Um, that way of looking at it is correct in, in most cases, that if you, you, you put your, your chips on the table and you took your risk. I think it's a different, though, when we're talking about sexual, uh, the sexual assault claim. And that's because it's not just about Mr. Folks. It, 
course, it is about him and the fact that he's claiming to be a sexual assault victim, but we have concerns about are other prisoners being treated this way? Does the Board of Prisons has an interest in making sure its employees don't engage in this kind of awful conduct, as do other prison employees? So I think the idea that it's just Mr. Folks' chip to put on the table and take a risk is not correct. I think in a lot of other cases... Does anything support that? Is there any case law that supports your argument? Not on this notion of... I don't think any cases really use Judge Hanlon's analogy, but I don't disagree with the logic of this analogy. I just think in this type of heightened situation where there's a sexual assault allegation, it's just not appropriate. Isn't that contrary to the court's deterrence arguments? And one of the things, you've got somebody committing fraud on the court here, and there are consequences of committing fraud on the court. The court carefully went through lesser sanctions but concluded they were not sufficient for this fraud on the court that, quite frankly, Mr. Folks had the opportunity to cure a couple times during testimony but chose to keep lying about it through deposition, through pavy hearing. So if we say, okay, it's okay to commit fraud on the court when you're alleging something really serious, how is that deterring this kind of conduct? Because I think the fact that there's a very serious allegation at issue is connected to the other reasons why we claim that the district court decision to dismiss should be reversed. And that's one of them is that the conduct at issue doesn't connect to the hearing at issue, so that his claim against Dr. Wilson has nothing to do. He wasn't going to benefit from his misconduct in the Dr. Wilson case. I would have trouble standing in front of you and saying he should be able to benefit from his misconduct. That's one issue. The second is the record of Mr. Folks' conduct and litigation other than this. There is none. He is not a serial litigator like there are. We're all aware of that fact. In fact, several of the published cases dealing with this type of conduct and remedy deal with serial litigators who have repeatedly lied in front of the courts. So Mr. Folks, while, again, not defending the conduct, we're not appealing the conduct, this is the first time he's been in this position. But how is it an abuse of discretion, which is the standard here, for the court to dismiss this based on the repeated fraud on the court in this particular case? And when I say repeated, I mean he filed the document, he stuck with his story, he lied about it in his deposition, et cetera. And that's the way the government phrases it. I'm sure Ms. Shields will phrase it here in a minute. But from our viewpoint, it's a continuing one instance, this case. There's not multiple cases or even multiple cases. But there were opportunities to cure it, which I think is, when I say repeated, that's what I mean. He had various opportunities during the course of this litigation to cure the lie, and yet he chose not to. You might have a different argument if he had submitted the document and then he came clean during his deposition and said, no, I fabricated that. But that's not what happened here. No, that's not what happened here, and that's not what the record shows. But I do think the fact that he's not, at this point, able to benefit from the fraud, that he has a record of being, I mean, this is a gentleman who's been in prison since 2005, doesn't have a history of committing fraud in the prison grievance system when he's submitted, I think the record shows, 85 different grievances over the course of those 23 years. And there is one instance in the record where he's committed anything that's close to what's at issue in this case, and it's just a vague one-sentence reference to lying that is something he was cited for. We don't know if it's lying to a prison official or telling a lie to other prisoners. We don't know what it is. We can't really 
tell what that is. I think his record is a lot different than other plaintiffs who have found themselves in this situation. I think the critical mass of those three things plus the fourth issue, which is the severity of the remedy. Now, I don't dispute at all that Judge Hanlon considered. We're not arguing as a matter of process that he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to look at remedies. And he says there's nothing else I can do that's really going to have an impact on Mr. Falks. Mr. Falks is on death row. He's about as bad off as you can be. That's very true. And that factor weighs heavily in one of the suggested remedies we posed, which was this should be resolved in the prison grievance system because he's a prisoner for life. So things that can be taken from him as part of that enforcement of the grievance process and the fact that he has now been found to have lied during that grievance process can take away things that would be very important to someone in his position, commissary, phones, things like that. I'm not sure how many of those things he has, by the way. I mean, I have visited that death row. It's pretty spartan. And can a court impose sanctions like that, taking away your commissary at the prison? I don't think courts have control and can tell prisons that. The way we phrase it is they can defer to the prison. I don't think the court could order necessarily. There's a due process. We did point out that in our briefing that their administrative, excuse me, claim preclusion or issue preclusion would prevent relitigation of the question, especially now that we've been up on appeal, of whether he did, in fact, alter the document and testify falsely. Mr. Cranley, you want to save a little rebuttal time? I do. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Ms. Shields, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Good afternoon, and may it please the court. Gina Shields on behalf of the appellees in this case. This court has repeatedly recognized that perjury is among the worst kinds of misconduct and that falsifying evidence to secure a court victory undermines the most basic foundations of our judicial system. So, Ms. Shields, cutting to the chase, I'm sure you're going to be arguing that Judge Hanlon did not abuse his discretion, even though maybe somebody else might have chosen a lighter penalty. But what I don't want the result of this case to be is for the government to go home and say, oh, well, we don't have to worry about Dr. Watson because, you know, we got him off in this case. And to think that everything was okay without exploring, you know, what actually is going on in the penitentiary at Terre Haute. Because it's one thing to give Mr. Folks a damages award because he was assaulted, allegedly, but let's assume he proved it, that he was assaulted in violation of his personal rights and the prison, the PREA standards and all the rest of it. It's a different thing to say that nobody should pursue that. So I looked into, you know, whether the Bureau of Prisons had internal remedies, an Office of Inspector General or anything of the sort. And it does seem that there are offices in BOP because, you know, I just don't, the message here, if we were to affirm Judge Hanlon, should not be, oh, well, nothing bad happened. Yes, Your Honor. The BOP does have internal mechanisms to investigate allegations such as this of staff misconduct. As you pointed out, he did exhaust, fully exhaust his claim before he brought suit. So there was an internal investigation on the remedy. And there's some concern about spoliation of evidence, you know, these paper towels that sort of get picked up and disappear. Your Honor, that claim was dismissed by the district court on a motion to dismiss. 
But to get back to your earlier... But I'm just saying factually, not, again, sort of from a more institutional point of view. It's not quite the same as Mr. Falk's, you know, bringing that claim. It's different. Well, there also is the Office of Inspector General. There's an Office of Internal Affairs within the BOP, all of which investigate allegations of staff misconduct such as these. And is there any reason to think anybody's looking at this, or are they just saying, oh, well, we love Dr. Watson, or what? Your Honor, we never reached the merit stage on that claim. If I'm remembering correctly, I believe there was an internal investigation, but that's not part of the record because we never reached that stage. Is there anything in the record about whether there were other allegations of sexual abuse against Dr. Watson? Not to my knowledge. The determinative question on this appeal is whether the district court abused its discretion in dismissing all of Mr. Falk's claims, including his exhausted ones, as a sanction. That means that the mere fact that this court or another district court may have addressed the problem with a different set of solutions or sanctions is not enough. This court can reverse only where no reasonable judge would have done the same. Mr. Falk's has not met that incredibly high burden. And as Your Honors have pointed out, the sanction that the district court imposed is a direct result of the choices that Mr. Falk's made repeatedly throughout the course of this litigation. From the very outset of this case in July 2020, when the prison officials filed their first substantive filing, they admitted that Mr. Falk's had exhausted his claims of purported sexual assault. It was never the subject of the motion to dismiss or the alternative motion for summary judgment on exhaustion. Was that claim, by my read of the record, it looks like that claim was headed to trial, but for the intervening fraud here. Exactly, and that was my next point. Absent his egregious misconduct and the perjury and the forgery, that claim would have gone to trial. I hope the point you're hearing from the bench is that Warden Watson and Dr. They understand the gravity of that claim that would have been headed to trial and it would have been on full display in a public courtroom, but for this intervening misconduct and that the BOP take an allegation like that. I mean, it's a very serious allegation that was dismissed. It looked like it was headed to trial. Absolutely, Your Honor. We understand that. And it would have been possible, of course, to have dismissed all of the claims affected by the perjury and allowed the PREA claim to go forward. That would have been a sanction in and of itself with bite for somebody like Mr. Falks. If I'm understanding your statement correctly, I don't believe that would be a sanction. Under the PLRA, unexhausted claims have to be dismissed. So if the court only dismissed the unexhausted claims, that's not a sanction. That's just the correct result. But you're reasoning backwards, though. I mean, after the fact, once you've determined that they weren't properly exhausted, you're right. I mean, no big deal. But he had filed the claims. He had arguments, presumably, for thinking he could go forward with them. And so ex ante, to dismiss almost your entire case would seem like a pretty big sanction to a person like Mr. Falks. Your Honor, it was a sanction that was proportionate to the misconduct and the waste of time and resources that his conduct caused on the court and the government and the witnesses. The court wasted no resources on his sexual assault claim. Your Honor, they wasted resources on his claim that he was sexually abused by Dr. Watson. 
claims that were related to the remedy that he forged. We had an all-day pavy hearing about this. Right, I understand. There was a cost there. And it was Mr. Falk's own choice in how to respond to the prison officials' invocation and litigation of their exhaustion defense that ultimately led to the dismissal of his exhausted claims. When we first raised the exhaustion defense, Mr. Falk's repeated and willful abuse of the judicial process began, as Judge St. Eve pointed out. He had multiple opportunities throughout this litigation to cure the defect and admit what he was doing and what he had forged. But instead of taking those opportunities, he repeatedly perjured himself and submitted false evidence to the court, first in his declaration to opposing the defendant's summary judgment on exhaustion with the exact purpose of creating a factual dispute that would necessitate a pavy hearing. And indeed, at that point in reply, the defendants pointed out how the remedy itself reeked of illegitimacy. There were portions whited out. There were lines missing. And in the order on the exhaustion defense, the court found credence and found that our arguments were not without support. Nobody's contesting that at this point. Okay. Yes, Your Honor. And then he continued to double down on that in his deposition testimony and also on the pavy hearing after he sat through our expert, our government expert, a forensic document examiner, who testified the documents forged. He sat through that testimony and then continued to triple down on his perjury and misconduct. Also, I think it's important to note that the court has an interest in both punishing a party's dishonesty and deterring others who might be considering similar misconduct. As this court has recognized, if there are no consequences when that forgery is uncovered, there will be far too much perjury and the accuracy of judicial decisions will be degraded. The sanction that the district court chose here not only addressed the substantial waste of time and resources that Mr. Folks' repeated forgery and fabrication of evidence caused, but also will have a deterrent effect on litigants who are considering similar misconduct. If there are no further questions, the question that this court must decide is whether the district court's choice of sanction was arbitrary, given the egregiousness of Mr. Folks' fabrication of evidence, repeated perjury, the substantial waste of time and resources it caused, and the deterrent effect dismissal will have on litigants considering similar misconduct. The district court's decision should be affirmed in all respects. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Shields. Mr. Cranley? Thank you, Your Honor. I really just want to make a couple of brief points. The first one goes to Judge Woods' question about what was the process here. And ultimately, the question they have answered that question is, is the fox watch that announced, the person policing whether Dr. Wilson actually engaged in misconduct is the prison system itself. And Dr. Wilson is one defendant there, as is the warden. And they, sure, they looked at it, but the one person who can fully litigate this claim and has the interest in doing so is Mr. Folks. He's the one that has the best opportunity to bring it to light and to litigate it fully. There needs to be a remedy. Do not dispute at all that there needs to be a remedy, there needs to be a deterrence. All those points Ms. Shields made are correct. This was the wrong one. 
one of the remedies that would be available that would thread the needle between the two huge public interests here, the public interest in making sure people aren't victims of sexual assault and the public interest in truthfulness before the court, is to say we're not going to take away the sexual assault claim, but we can put a filing bar on, and we can prevent future litigation, and we can or put a strike on. That takes away a future case. Again, in the briefing, Ms. Shields indicated that, look, that's speculative. We don't know if there's going to be future litigation. Mr. Folks has filed over 85 grievances in his terms. It's pretty likely in the time he has left. I'm sorry, my time's up. But I think it's pretty likely that we will be in that position. With that, Your Honors, I thank you for your time and your attention today. Okay. Mr. Cranley, Ms. Shields, thanks to both of you. Mr. Cranley, am I right? You took this case on appointment from the court, right? Yes, Your Honor. So you and your firm have our thanks, and we appreciate both counsel. We'll take the appeal under advisement. Thank you, Your Honor. You're welcome. Okay.